balance to like. <laughs> Good evening, guys. We'll just give it a few minutes for the stream to catch up, as always. Here we go. We are live. I will share that to my personal page. And pick up the fade. And pin that to the top of the page. Brilliant guys, brilliant. There we go. Hey guys, welcome to Live and Undrugged Series 2, episode 12. Um, this evening I am with actor, writer, artist, um, Jackie Naaman Jones. Um, thanks for coming on, Jackie. Um, Thank you. Um, you know, I know it's been put back well, once or twice, but uh, it's great to finally get you on. Um, I want to take you back to the start of your journey, really, and um, see where you come from. Okay. Well, I grew up in uh, the west part of the United States in Texas, and, uh, and I lived on the Mexican border of El Paso, Texas. And um, my father was part of the local community theater group. And uh, he was also an artist and uh, did many other things. But in 1966, he was asked by another actor in the community theater if my dad would want to be in a film he was uh, cr creating. So this man, Hal Warren, had wrote, produced, and uh, and he acted in this movie that he had written and and he knew he wasn't making a good movie from the start, but uh, his his main goal, he's a salesman in life. And his main goal was he was thinking that maybe he could bring interest and the film industry to the Southwest. And uh, so he made this film, he invited my dad to star in it and they needed a child and my dad had one of those so i got to be the child in the movie our dog had the right look he was a doberman uh, he was in the movie our car my dad did all the props and the art the the whole look of the film uh, was his and my mother made the costumes my great grandmother's quilt was on the bed. So to me, it was like a family film. And as a kid, it was the best summer of my life until the premiere in 1966. So the, uh, the writer, Hal Warren, being a salesman that he was, he um, got put on this big Hollywood style premiere with a searchlight and a red carpet and a limousine to bring the actors to the front of this 850 seat theater in downtown. And, <laughs> but he only had a budget for one limo for one thing. So he had all the actors and everybody show up 
and wait in the alley behind the theater and the limo would come around, pick up a group and drop us off <laughs> in front. And even as a, at that, at that time I was seven and as a seven year old child, I remember thinking, am I the only one? <laughs> Somebody else must notice, you know, it's the same car and driver. So we all go into the theater, Hal had invited all the local luminaries, you know, the mayor and the police chief and all these people. And we go in and the movie had happened so fast, I don't know, on such a, a budget that uh, it wasn't very good. And it started and by the, so my dad made sure we had good seats. We sat about fifth row center and we knew it wasn't gonna be a good movie or the adults did, but. So the lights go down and the film comes up and it becomes obvious that this is really a bad film. And uh, by the end of it, everybody that was in that film got the hell out of there as quickly as they could. And it, it was, somebody described it as a, some kind of crime scene where everybody just splits up and never speaks of it again. So it showed that one night and then the theater canceled the rest of the run because it was so bad. And then it disappeared. I mean, nobody talked about it. And I grew up, like I said, that was the best summer of my life. And in high school, I started looking for it. And this is pre-internet. And I looked at university libraries and I, I just couldn't find it. And then in 1993, a show on Comedy Central came up that's called Mystery Science Theater 3000. And they showed the movie and it became an instant hit. And for their annual Turkey Day Awards, it's been voted several times as one of the fan favorites, but it's also famous uh, as being known as the worst movie ever made. And, hmm, it's called Manos, The Hands of Fate. So the title alone should give away some of it because Manos is Spanish for hands. So it's redundant for one thing, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been taught in film school as every film classes is everything not to do in filmmaking. You know, the editing, the direction, the acting, the everything. It was shot on a Korean Vietnam style war camera that only shot 32 seconds at a time and it was wind up and it was, and it had no sound. So the whole film was dubbed. And there were nine women and one six-year-old girl who were all dubbed by the same woman. <laughs> so nobody bothered to tell the little kid on the set that this was the case, that I, my voice didn't matter on set. And so I would think I wasn't saying a line loud enough and Hal would say, oh, don't worry about it. Let's move on. We'll just fix it in the lab. <laughs> And even as a child, I remember thinking, I wonder how he's gonna fix all of this. I mean, it was just obvious. <laughs> so, so my dad was an artist um, and, and he made, like I said, all the props and everything. And uh, 
from painting and sculpture and metalwork. He really put a lot of his heart and soul into to this. And a lot of it was already his existing work. But I followed in his footsteps and I've always been an artist and I've always been a self-starter and self-employed. And I've created a number of businesses over the year uh, from nothing. I mean, literally from just an idea or a dream or somebody says something, I go, oh, that's a good idea. And I just realized like a couple hours ago when I was talking to a friend in front of the post office that, and I was trying to catch her up on some of what I'm doing. And she said, wow, that would make my head spin. And I thought, yeah, okay. So and I feel a little better validated. I don't feel like I'm as disorganized as I think I am. It's just that it's hard for me to turn down a new idea or project because everything's so interesting to me. I just want to explore it further. But as a result of this film, I've um, been a guest at many uh, Comic-Con and horror conventions. And I've met uh, quite a number of celebrities and people that I admire. And it's just been an amazing journey. And, and, every t and this was in 1993 when it was discovered. So now all these years later, um, just a lot of new opportunities are coming. I, um, I've been teaching painting classes for about seven years. You know, those, uh, I don't know if they have them there. They, here they call them uh, paint and sip parties where people go mm. for a two hour painting at a bar or restaurant. And um, I've been teaching those. And then with COVID, I've had to find other directions. And now I'm, I'm starting some online painting classes that are mystery science theater related. And I was able to go on a special tribute online show on Friday night with the original host, Joel. And uh, so far, I'm, I mean, there's a lot of interest. It's really great. There's a lot of things that I'm doing right now. And then I have my own art. And then I, I wrote a book called Growing Up with Monos, the Hands of Feet. How I Was the Child Star, the Worst Movie Ever Made and Lived to Tell the Story. That's the whole title. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm four and a half stars on Amazon, so I'm very proud to say I wrote a really good book about a really terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, I think some movies are just out of time. Um... I mean, as you can probably see, I've got a, a big affinity for movies, um, VHS and things like that. And I think some yeah. movies are, are, are just made out of time. And I, I think that we're now in a time when we don't take film too seriously. Some people take it way too seriously, but most people don't yeah. take it too seriously. And things like that, um, they come around and they... You know, they, they create a, a movement. Um, I'm a big yeah. fan of B-movies anyway. You know, I'm a big B-movie fan. 
um, you know, oh, okay. Roger Carman okay. and Edward and especially Roger Carman. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but I must admit, and, and until you uh, you know your representative got in contact, I'd, I'd never heard of the film. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a, it's a very tight knit community. It's a, it's a passionate fan base, but you know, it's, it's just, there's so many things to be involved and interested in that, you know, it just takes up this one segment. But um, one of the things about the film that I've learned over the years through the fans is that even though it's terrible and completely inept, but people can see the, the passion behind it. You know, and I've explained it. It's like anytime you get creative people together, like to do a play or a project, they're they're dedicated. And nobody wants to be the person that says, this, I'm out of here. This isn't working. You know what I mean? So they mm. so they often stick it out to the bitter end <laughs> just out of that. And um uh, People on set definitely knew it wasn't good. In fact, behind the director's back, the crew started calling it mangoes, the cans of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and then and the crew did, a, did things like uh, testing his powers of observation and, and it was left in the film. There's one point where my dad's holding his hands out. He's the evil polygamous master and he's holding his hands out and uh, right behind him is uh, an empty beer bottle that was planted by the the crew to see. <laughs> you can see a can of lighter fluid in the background when he's holding this hand up that's on fire, you know. There's a lot, a lot of things <laughs> like that. So the crew had to find ways to release their own frustration. Yeah, I mean, I've been involved with quite quite a few films, and I, you know, not not to that sort of scale of, of badness, but I've, I've been involved in some pretty bad <laughs> films. Um, you know, where the actors are not really actors, and you know, the filmmakers are not really filmmakers; of just it's just a couple of guys that have sat in a pub and gone, "I can make a film." And then they've decided to do it. And, yes. You know, I mean, I, I, I kind of started a, 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 a series like that um, called Asylum. It was a, a series of short films, um, all improvised. Um, but that took on its own sort of... It did it. it when I watch myself back, I, I look at it and think, well, you know, that's probably... the I did a Scottish accent and it, it wasn't great. And, um, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's got its fan base and, you know, there are people that watch it and there are people that still love it. And we still make it on occasion because um, we love making it. It's, it's cheap, it's simple and, it, you know. Well, it's um, fun. <laughs> and it, it is, it's fun um, to take people to a, a, di- a different level. 
So did you have scripts and things that you had to read from or was it just sort of winged and improvised? No, definite script. I mean, the script is horrible as well. And then because everybody had full-time jobs, it was pretty much shot in eight days. And, you know, so it was nights and weekends. So there were shots that were where the wife says, um, you know, something like it's getting dark and it's obviously middle of the day, very bright. And then uh, there's the time when the, the police officers get out of the car with their flashlight to go investigate. They can only go like three steps in front of the headlights because there's no lighting and it's dark in the desert because that's where it was filmed in the desert. And then uh, at night, because of the the lighting, mostly flashlights, headlights. I mean, there was no electricity out there. And so that brought in the moths. So you see a lot of moths flying around. <laughs> and, uh, and the film was expensive and the camera was rented and people who were using it didn't have experience with the film. And because of the time constraints and the, the, the money constraints, um, pretty much all of the film was used. I mean, there really wasn't much in terms of outtakes. Mm. And the reason I know that is because I think it was in 2011, this uh, film student from Tennessee bought a box of films or he, he was looking for some films to restore and to look at. And he saw a couple titles and he, um, he wanted to buy them. And the guy said, no, you got to take the whole box. So he did, he bought the whole box and in it, he found this 16 millimeter work print that had actually gone through the camera in 1966. And the crazy thing was he actually knew what it was. He had been a Mystery Science Theater fan. The other thing is the title on it wasn't even Manos, the Hands of Fate. It was one of the earlier titles, mm. Fingers of Fate. So somehow he knew what he had and he looked it over and it was filthy and it had scotch tape for editing, you know, to hold it together. And it was a mess, but he decided it was worthy of restoring. So he did a Kickstarter and went beyond his expectations. He raised almost $48,000. Wow. And he restored it frame by frame. And now um, <laughs> I've been able to travel and go to special screenings and such, but it blows people away because it's the the film that people are used to the rift version is like a print of a print of a print so it's like otherworldly to watch it's not only i mean it's it's disturbing <laughs> it's like looking through a screen door or something mm. in, in some cases but this is so pristine and cleaned up that it's an entirely different experience and then watching it without the riffing going on so it's um it's like it's it's strange it's watching this beautiful version of a 
really horrible movies. So I like to say that you can see all the mistakes so much clearer. <laughs> so you say it's horrible. Why, why is it horrible to you? Not to me so much as the audience who, oh, well, like, for instance, uh, the people who found it to begin with, they were just talking about it the other day in an interview, how um, they'd get these movies and they were all public domain films. That, that was one of the criteria, not just that they were bad, but they were public domain. And they would get a box of films and uh, Frank Conniff, one of the members would go through and kind of pick out some and then they'd screen them. They'd watch them during lunch, their lunch break, and just start writing script for the riffing. But what every one of them, I've met all of them and I talked to them and they all said that during that particular screening, all of them were secretly wondering what they were gonna do with this film. I mean, it was so bad, they just didn't, they weren't sure they were gonna be able to do it. And, but nobody wanted to be like the one in the room to scream fire, you know, and say, we can't do this. So they, they did it and they said it was not easy to riff, although it's pretty funny that they did it. And it became one of their best known episodes i mean it's uh last i heard it's like um zero or one on rotten tomatoes it's way way down there <laughs> that's yeah that's that's pretty low yeah um, but i like to also say that you know people ask me why i embrace it so much and for one thing uh my dad was really a talented guy. He was a wonderful man. And there was lots of troubles through the years, like there are in many families. And we were uh, kind of split apart for many, many years. And, and then this movie came about and, and it gave us opportunities to come together and, and uh, heal a lot. And that's one of the things that people really love is the backstory so I wrote a book about the making of Manos and uh, I'm so glad I wrote it when I did because again it was made in 1966 and I was a child and now I have four grandchildren so nobody pretty much nobody else that was in the film is still living but I was able to find people and interview people and talk to family members and things that I would not be able to do now. So I'm very grateful to have had that opportunity to write that book. But it gives the whole backstory. And, and then, you know, the other thing is all these amazing, talented projects that have happened since it came out, since it became popular is, um, you know, the Mystery Science Theater crowd they self-described as nerds, <laughs> but they're um, they're very uh, community-oriented. They're talented. They're intelligent. They're really interesting, funny people. And 
So there's been so many projects, like for instance, a puppet theater show called Manos, the Hands of Felt. <laughs> and it's really funny. You can look it up on YouTube. Manos, the Hands of Felt. And um, let's see, there's been uh, a couple video games created an iOS version. There's uh, comic books. There's a couple coloring books. There's been four stage productions. There, there was a rock opera in Chicago. Uh, Manos, the rock opera of fate, I think it was called. And then there's been two stage productions. And there's a band. <laughs> they do music. They're Manos, the band of fate. <laughs> and I've just met so many amazing people and been able just had incredible opportunities to be part of much better projects and uh, I'm just so blessed and grateful to be you know people say well why do you embrace it so much it just means so much to me and then then I also say I was six years old it's not my fault right I was a victim as much as anybody who's watching it. <laughs> Do you think that um, had it been a, an adequate film or had it been, you know, a better film, it might have just faded away into obscurity instead yes. of like it has now and, and been brought back because it's so bad? Yeah, and I'm truly grateful for that. I mean, it stands out on its own. And it has some unearthly quality about, I don't know. I mean, I've never really been able to adequately describe why it's gained such fame, but I am just so happy to go along on the journey wherever it leads me. As an artist, I, I create and I get involved in too many projects at the same time sometimes because I can't everything is it's all interesting and uh this has been quite the journey I don't know you've heard of Elvira yes yes very well, big when I was growing up here yeah right Ooh. she um she showed that film on her show once and uh, several years ago we were both guests at the same uh comic-con convention and during a break one day I made my way across the room to try to meet her she had this long long line of people waiting to get autographs and she had um, a, a woman sitting next to her that looked like was her bodyguard you know somebody so so I kind of assess the situation and she was at the end of the table so I got up close and then I just started around the edge of the table and I squatted down next to her and I said her name is Cassandra Peterson and I said Cassandra and I just spoke as quickly as I could I was in Manos the Hands of Fate my dad was the master and I know you did it on your show and I just wanted to say hi and she looks at me for a moment and then the recognition came into her eyes and her eyes got big and very dramatically. She looks over. Oh, in the meantime, out of the corner of my eye, 
I see this woman starting to get up out of her chair. And I'm like, <laughs> I need to do this fast and get the hell out of here, you know? <laughs> so, so Cassandra looks at me, this look of recognition. And then she looks over there and she says, stop the, stop the line <laughs> real dramatically. <laughs> And then she pulls me up and uh, we just had this wonderful, very quick conversation where she asked me some questions that she had wondered about. And uh, we took pictures together and she signed one of her that she had there already. And, you know, it's moments like that that just mm -hmm. thrill me, make me feel so honored. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. You know, um, I was very blessed to be part of a, a film that's done quite well over here called The Souvenir. The Souvenir? The Souvenir, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and The Souvenir Part 2, actually. But um, I, I, I was asked to go init initially and get involved as a consultant, consultant and talk about a certain way of life. Um, you know, because I, I, you know, I'm a recovering addict and, you know, I've gone through that my whole life. So I was asked to go and, and, and speak, you know, to the uh, director and the uh, actors and the cast and the crew and, the, you know, the whole production. And then I was asked to act in it, you know, and, and that was kind of, there was no script. It was just improvised. Uh, uh -huh. And it was great. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of opened me to, you know, getting a, you know, a, a couple of other parts on things like uh, Locked Up Abroad and uh, playing uh, one of your serial killers, John Eric Armstrong in uh, Twisted Killers, um, season one, episode two. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of get the, you know, I, I was recently contacted by one of the actors saying, um, you know, we met on the met, met on the set, and you know, can we open up a dialogue? And I'd like I'd like to chat with me about something. So I kind of get that recognition. You know, um, I I worked on set with some big stars, and it's like it's really easy to get um, starstruck. But I think that you you know we we ground ourselves, don't we? Um, yeah. 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 These things, you never know where they're going to lead you, the opportunities, the people that you meet, you just have to stay open uh, uh, because of this film. There was a sequel planned a number of years ago that uh, failed. The, the guy who was running the show was um, quite arrogant and um, he enjoyed being this mystery man he was he was american but he had this fake new zealand accent that was came and went at you know and and uh i mean he he was actually a pretty talented musician but he just decided he was gonna make this film and he got me and my father and he found other people that had been in the original or and uh the son of someone who'd been in the original. And in this way, I, I met people that I wouldn't have had the opportunity 
to meet or even know they still existed. You know, I mean, and the film failed, but I met all these wonderful people. And because of the cinematographer he had hired, we ended up becoming friends. And then he's moved up the ladder in Los Angeles and he got involved. He became the cinematographer on a film with the guy that uh, did the costuming for uh, Alien and Alien versus Predator. He built the costumes for the Alien and the Predator. And then in, um, in the second film, Alien versus Predator, he actually not only built the costume, but he played the Predator because he's six foot eight. He's a very large. I mean, I look like a child next to him. I'm five foot two. <laughs> and um, so he wrote his own film and I live in uh, the Western United States in Oregon in uh, an old small town in the forest. It's all logging around me the history is hmm. the logging industry so he was making a bigfoot film and through the cinematographer jay lee they knew where i lived and they knew i had a it just fit into the script so they brought their the cast and the crew that they the the crew and the cast that they needed up and i got to be part of the locations they filmed in my backyard i have a 16 foot native american teepee that's painted and my my ex-husband is um native american and so we recreated a uh, peyote ceremony for for this for a scene hmm. and it was great because they filmed in my backyard in my teepee and uh me and my ex-husband and our kids and a couple grandkids and local friends all got to be in this scene. And the movie is called Primal Rage. It's a, a Bigfoot film. And it's actually really good. It's a good movie. It's made by Patrick Magee. He's the, the writer and the filmmaker. So look yeah, that one up. So with the teepee scene, I'm the woman having, it's a healing ceremony. And so my ex-husband plays the medicine man and he's taking something out of my guts, you know, like some cancerous thing or something. And my older son is the drummer. <laughs> it's really great. I love to go back and revisit things like that. But the opportunities, the things that come you just never know. And I just say, follow your instinct, follow your heart. You know, be who you are, explore that, and see where it takes you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I've got a real passion for film and filmmaking. And I, you know, I think I really love to make a, 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 a B movie, a, a, a sci-fi, something, yeah, something worthy of the Sci-Fi Channel. I don't know what you call it over there. It's called the Sci-Fi Channel here. Yeah, yeah, and, it's uh, called that here too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, 
you know, some something along the range of like Sharknado or yeah, oh yeah, know, <laughs> what's, what's, what's the latest one I heard of? Um, Velocipasta. Um, oh yes, I see where you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you can do. <laughs> oh, do something. Oh, here's one. I'm just gonna throw this in your head. <laughs> what about you know with all the DNA stuff and and uh, people talking about bringing extinct creatures back? We have frozen. Are you still there? I do apologize, guys. I think we got the internet connection sometimes. Yeah, I do apologize. Uh, You froze for a second. Are you still there? Yeah, I think we're just having some connection problems. Uh, hopefully, I can get Jackie back. Let's see if we can get her back in. These things are sometimes sent to uh, triers. But we uh, we do do our best to get it to you. If we can't get a back, we'll get a back for another time. But hopefully, we can get a back right about now. So guys, um, how are you enjoying the um, broadcast up to now? I think we're going to try and get her back. I'm just speaking to her now. Yeah, she's just trying to reconnect. So we're we're doing our best to get her back. Um, I could sing you a song, but I don't think anybody wants to hear that. Um, So, yeah, while we're waiting, I do have two books for sale at the minute. Um, The first one is my first book, A Personal Apocalypse, The Poetic Ramblings of a Troubled Man. Uh, It's my memoirs uh, of um, my mental health battles, uh, my addiction, homelessness, um, and my ultimate recovery. Um, And my second book, Between the Streetlights and Red Lights, um, and I spent six months working with escapees of human trafficking sexual slavery uh, and exploitation um and i tell some of their stories i also um, speak about how to um 
spot if anybody might be trapped in trafficking um, or if anybody may be a trafficker. Um, so, yeah, please do. They're both available on Amazon for $9.95. Paperback or $1.99 um, on Kindle. Uh, but it is free on Kindle Unlimited. Um, or you can jump on my website, uh, jwgreg.wordpress.com, and you can buy them um, straight from the store on that page. Just still trying to reconnect, by the way. Um, her internet went out and she's, she's just trying to uh, get back. Um, in case of these things do happen and you just get stuck with me babbling and waffling. Um, so I will do my best. Um, it's, it's great to have um, Jackie on. I, I really do have a passion for film and, and, and television. Um, especially like B-movies and old sort of B-film and television film. Um, you know, I, th I think it's underappreciated um, in these days. Um, as you can probably see, I've got quite a few there. Um, I've got some classics and some um, for good reason and some classics for not so good reasons. Um, Things like Warlock and Watcher are my absolute favourites. I, I love um, some of the old 1980s horror that were more indie and, and, and lower budget and not really sort of studio films. Um, you know, I do have quite a few studio films, but um, I think most of them are what you would class as um, sort of B-rated or indie movies, um, things like the Exterminator movies, um, uh, quite a few British movies as well. Um, we get a sort of a raw deal with it. Um, I do have a few deleted ones. One of my favourites is um, his Buddhist song. Uh, that's not available on DVD at all. Um, and I came across it quite obscurely um, and it's filmed quite near where I'm from. So it's, it's sort of great to have that, um, you know, a few rental copies from what used to be Blockbuster. Um, I was a big sort of video shop uh, hanger out, uh, you could say, you know, I, I loved it. Um, Yeah, uh, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to get Jackie back. Her internet has gone um, totally down. Um, and rather than you listening to me waffle on, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave it for tonight. Um, but what I did here was absolutely fantastic. I will try and get her back on uh, for a part two um, and a more stable internet connection. Um and yeah, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try that in the next sort of couple of weeks. Um, 
while it's still fresh in mind. Um, so thanks as always to my sponsor, uh, Mr. James Jeffries, um, and uh, my uh, part-time sponsors at, at Cannabis uh, on Facebook, um, Cannabis uh, UK. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining in. Thanks to my fans as always. Um, always show up to uh, show a bit of support. Um, I shall see you next time. Cheers, guys.